Okay, I've been very interested in the idea that Linux, while widely used on servers, is still not super popular when it comes to desktop operating systems or laptops. And, uh, you know, for a long time, it's, it, it's always been there in the background. There's always been people that have used Linux, but it's always been the, the you know small percentage of people compared to the amount of people using Windows and Mac OS. And I feel like it, it feels like there's finally a turning point here where Linux has the opportunity to overtake a lot more market share. I mean, I'm sure this has probably been something that people have talked about for a very long time. I do think that there is a uptick that is happening. Um, and for me personally, I've been a macOS user for a very long time, all the way back to when macOS 10 basically launched, like we're talking about early through 2000s. Uh, iBook uh, G4, I believe I had, uh, was my first Mac, or G3 or G4, I can't remember, I think it was a G4. And I've been a happy Mac user for many, many years. Well, you know, about 20 years as a Mac user, and then before that, Windows XP was my desktop operating system of choice. I still love Windows XP. On the Windows side, you know, after Windows XP, I skipped Vista. Uh, Windows 7 was was a reasonably good operating system. Windows 8 and 8.1 I skipped. Windows 10 was actually, and is actually, a reasonable operating system. It seems like they've taken out some of the bloatware that's started out in Windows 10. And uh, after doing a fresh install recently, it's, it's, actually, it's not too bad. It's a very stable operating system. So is Mac OS, very stable. Uh, I feel like over the years, well, just to finish up with Windows, Windows 11 is out now, but I feel like Windows, one of the weird things Windows has always done is they've constantly been trying to change the start menu. And I don't think they need to. You know, Windows 95, Windows 2000, Windows XP, like Windows 7, all these had a start menu that people understood and then it's like they try to go away from it several times they try to go into this 8 and 8.1 thing which didn't make any sense and then now Windows 11 looks a lot like they're just trying to copy Mac OS which doesn't make sense to me so I feel like Windows just you know they, they've you know it's good that they've taken risks I suppose to try to evolve the operating system I think a part of the reason for Windows 8 and 8.1, uh, well, Windows 8 really was to evolve Windows into the, in a, a touchscreen sort of interface thing, but if people are using a mouse and keyboard, it doesn't make sense. And, uh, you know, I just, just will always like, I think, that simple start menu on the Windows side. And uh, on the Mac OS side, you know, overall, I've been very happy with Mac. It has been number one stable. I feel that there's been a recent trend over the past many years where I've stayed away from upgrading to whenever they come up with a new version of Mac OS, which is actually fairly frequent in my opinion. 
the initial releases are generally buggier than I would like. And, uh, you know, breaks compatibility with things and that sort of thing. And it usually takes till, like, a later version of a software release where they it starts to really become stable. So I've had a, as a Mac user, I've learned not to upgrade to the newest version of Mac OS. The only reason you do that is if, if you basically purchase a new com Mac computer and it comes with a certain version. Uh, otherwise, um, but once you start using it, once you find a stable version of Mac OS, you, you, like for me, I, I tend to not want to upgrade. Like right now on my Mac, I can upgrade to newer versions of Mac OS and I do not want to for fear of instability, basically. So that instability, you know, downgrading Mac OS is not easy. It's a pain. You basically have to format the drive and, and go through this painful process that takes a day or so, you know, to, to downgrade a version of Mac OS. So I had to do that a couple times and, and that's one of the things that made me think about Linux even more. And I also don't like the advent of these Mac OS, or, or really the Apple computers, where they're going into this unified architecture, which everyone seems to be excited about because there's supposedly a speed increases and that sort of thing, which is true to an extent. Uh, but the downside of it is, is that there's no upgradability. You cannot upgrade your RAM. You cannot upgrade your storage. Whatever you purchase the computer as, that is what you're stuck with. And uh, I don't like that, especially for the fact that most Mac computers are still sold at a default uh, sort of spec of 8 gigabytes of memory, which to me is insane. It should be at least 16 or 32. Uh, some of the Mac computers, you can't even get 32 gigabytes of memory on these unified architecture. Like it maxes out at 24 for some of them. You have to play this weird game and pay close attention also to which Apple computer you're trying to get because if, you, if you're if you someone who wants more than one screen, you have to make sure that the Mac you're getting supports the you know two or three screens. God forbid you want to use triple screen setup. A lot of the default configurations don't actually support that. So this gets into this weird thing of it's not just M1, M2, M3, it's also M1 Pro and M1 Max, and it becomes too complex. There's too many options, and um, so it's kind of hilarious that I'm looking at into Linux, uh, because on the software side, there's a plethora of options, but what it opens up is I can choose what hardware I want, and I can buy hardware that I can upgrade. So, so the lack of upgradability on the macOS side, hardware-wise, is a, is an extreme turnoff for me, and has me very much looking into Linux. And uh, even though even though I have a completely workable macOS computer right now, I have one that I, that I I was running Windows, uh, another computer I was running Windows 10 on, and I've been experimenting with uh, macOS uh, with uh, Linux on those on, the, on that computer. And uh, it's great, you know, it's great to know, like, I did upgrade the RAM on that computer, I did upgrade the graphics card on the computer. It's nice to be able to do that, because then you don't have, 
uh, paperweight. And I think as much as Mac OS or Mac or Apple says that they care about the environment, they are notorious, in my opinion, for releasing products uh, that they uh, they basically how how this is. In my opinion, the, there's planned obsolescence in Mac uh, and, and Apple computers and uh, iPhones as well. Of course, there are reasons to upgrade hardware, but uh, and you could make the case that iPhone has supported older hardware longer than other like you know Android for example but I don't think that that support is actually held long enough and one of the things that really brought this to light to me was that you know I purchased a new Mac years ago and uh, but, but prior prior to that Mac I, I purchased a few years ago I had a 2013 iMac computer that I really enjoyed. It was a great computer, worked great. You know, I keep good care of my electronics, and it's basically like a brand new. Uh, you know, I still have the box and all of the the stuff, and so it's it because Mac OS on that computer could no longer be upgraded at a certain point. I went out and bought a new Apple computer. And this Mac just sat in this box, this 2013 iMac. Beautiful looking computer, perfectly fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And so I decided one day, well, I'm gonna go ahead and install Linux on it. Let me just see how it is. And the moment I did that, this, it brought back this computer to life. Like it was a, it was like a brand new computer. It was fast, it was snappy. I can install any, uh, you know, Linux-based software that I wanted, and it has everything that I need to do the work that I need to do, and uh, it really made me upset because how many Mac computers, Apple computers, end up, you know, in the trash and landfill, whatever, as well as iPhones, because of this planned obsolescence or whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, lack of long-term support and I understand their company and they make profit and all this kind of stuff but it's it's not like that's the problem it's just that they constantly are talking about how great how much they care about the environment it's just like it's a little bit of a oxymoron it's just not genuine in my opinion and uh, whereas you can take older computers and you can put Linux on them and they function absolutely fine. Obviously there's things to consider like, you know, does your uh, CPU have uh, fresh thermal paste and things most people are not necessarily going to take care of, but they can, most of these older computers are upgradable as well. You know, maybe the person who purchased it initially, like if you're buying it secondhand or something, uh, didn't upgrade the memory to the full extent or upgrade the hard drive. Um, or it's something that you own, same thing. It's like, you can take a computer that's old, now put an SSD in there, put a faster hard drive in, put more RAM, max it out for fairly low cost, and you're good for like a, lo a while, you know, years. And uh, so I'm just off of the Mac 
train. Like I just, I really, I used to love watching the Mac keynote addresses. I would, I'd love to watch those. I've watched basically every single Mac key, uh, Apple keynote address since the early 2000s. And I think one of the things that also just turned me off from the brand is that, you know, when they started doing these pre-recorded keynote addresses, it, it allows them a lot more control. They can sort of edit, you know, and control pacing and that sort of thing. But there's something about doing a keynote address in front of a live audience because you never, you don't quite know how they're going to react. You know, what features people are going to be excited about. Maybe people are not going to be excited about certain things. And so that sort of live keynote address audience is, is also useful for the company because they can get some sense of live feedback. And I just feel that with these pre-recorded keynote addresses, they're just overly produced. And it turns into this situation where, you know, everybody presenting is super happy to the point where it gets like a little bit weird. Like there's a, there is a movie that goes into this where it's like this perfect town and everybody seems to be happy, but there's something weird and strange under the surface. Like, you know, something not quite right. And that's sort of how Mac um, Apple keynote addresses feel like to me recently. Um, the other thing about Apple is that they're, they're going in on this, um, this headset of theirs, their Vision Pro, they call it, which I understand companies wanting to explore VR and AR. Apple is, is, is not an early adopter with this kind of stuff. You know, they, they generally wait um, and then release something later. This is their first sort of AR, VR headset combo, we're going to call it. And, uh, I think there's interesting technology there, but I just personally don't understand Apple's vision currently. Like the the irony of the Vision Pro is that I don't understand Apple's vision. I I don't think that they've clearly communicated the vision of the future of the company. Even like watching the keynote address where they announced this Vision Pro they, in my opinion, failed to communicate the vision of, of like what this is for and why do we care. Because the reality is with these headsets, no one's going to want to wear these headsets all day long. It's just not going to happen. These headsets are for limited use. They're for a limited time. You know, they're something that you want to use for a little while. Probably, like, I would imagine watching a movie or playing a game, uh after that you're going to probably want to take that headset off um you know i can see the like for me like looking at the vision pro what do they call it the vision headset i can see being on an airplane and wanting to have one of those devices on an airplane i think on an airplane that device makes a lot of sense because you could you know watch a movie and it's like you're in this immersive environment um you know it's like if you have money like that you want to probably be in first class to be have the sort of space and whatever although you could certainly do that in a coach i guess it just 
it doesn't seem like a super compelling product. Like we ha we already have television screens that are actually very good. You know, surround sound systems that are very good. Most people already have that sort of thing in their home. So to have to, the, one of the things they're trying to say is like, well, if you have this headset, you can use it as this beautiful movie theater. But most people's homes are like movie theaters these days, right? I mean, movie theaters are literally releasing their movies simultaneously, digitally, because they know that people have these large flat screen TVs at their house. People, you know, still certainly experience to go to the theater, uh, but but home theaters, and most people, even if they don't invest in something like they just have a TV and a sound bar, you know, is quite a good experience already. So to want to have a larger screen than you already have, I don't really see the use case for that with this headset. Plus, it's just something that you'd only be able to do on your own. You couldn't have someone over or watch a movie with someone else unless you're watching it through this device. It just... I think there's going to be some interesting use cases for it. I think there will be people who, who find uh, intense value or companies that find value in this Vision headset, but I don't think this is a product that's a widely... that's going to be widely adopted. I think you can just look at VR in general. Uh, you know, the Sony PlayStation 5 also has a VR headset. Hard, has hardly any games for it. You know, there's not a lot of games for VR headsets. And there's even less, like, high-quality games. So, you know, there are some things that are good. And I'm not saying don't buy a VR headset, whether it's, a, you know, Apple or not. But I just don't think that it's a... It's not something that's like an iPod that everybody wants, you know? And maybe that's where the it's reflected in the price. It's a much higher price point because they may be expecting to sell way less units. But I would like to see... Personally, what I would have liked to see from Apple is them to actually have invested heavily into Siri. I mean, Siri, they had... They, they had a great sort of position with Siri to have a voice assistant that people knew there was a good brand behind it people you know and it just seemed like they just dropped the ball with Siri like they just didn't and they went and invested in this AR thing where I think they're what they should have been investing in is Siri this whole time I would have dropped this whole AR thing completely and and, and just invested in Siri but that's just me and they're looking at data and analytics that I don't have access to but personally, as a consumer, I'm not interested in the vision, uh, Apple's vision. Uh, and I kind of feel like they don't really have a good vision overall. So those are reasons why I am off of the macOS bandwagon. You know, I have, I have walked out of the walled garden, okay? And I l don't look at it as disgust or as anger or hatred or anything like that. It's like... I can look back from a distance and see that beautiful walled garden in a distance and appreciate it for what it is, but I don't want to be in there anymore. It's like, I don't know, those people are kind of like, you know, whatever's going on at that walled garden is like, 
I don't really know what they're trying to accomplish in there. And I think that they're kind of blowing smoke in certain ways, like I've discussed, where they're, you know, the, the, the sort of marketing of what they say they care about and what they say their values are, I don't see them aligning as much with uh, their actual actions. The other reason I, I left uh, Mac OS is because the iPhone went into Face ID, and I don't think that Face ID is a better technology than Touch ID. I think Touch ID is a better technology. I think that you put Touch ID in a home button on the side of the device, or, or a, a button on the side of the device, power button, whatever, and you're fine. You know, I know there's issues with putting touchscreens under glass, I get that, but they could have easily just put it on the power button, which they actually even did with some versions of the iPad, but um, they never did with the iPhone. And I just never was a fan with of, of Face ID. I just, for me, it's like, I don't want to have, like, it's like asking of too much attention for me to have to look directly at my phone every time I want to turn it on or unlock it. Whereas with Touch ID, you could simply grab it, put your thumb on the home button, it would unlock, and then you could glance at it whenever you needed to, whatever. So now everybody's going to agree with this. I think there's always like pushback with people who are really into Mac and Apple whenever you say something that's not like super pro Apple. But I was someone who had iPhone, iPad, you know, I, with the iPad, I even had the iPad 12.9-inch uh, iPad Pro. You know, I, I had the Apple Watch. I had multiple Apple Watches. I had uh, Apple TV. I had AirPods, plural. Uh, you know, I was, I was uh, and then on the desktop side, I had uh, Mac Minis, and I had iMacs, and I had Apple uh, laptops in the, in the past. So, you know, I, I was, and of course, I, would, I had iPods and all this too, so I was very much... Uh, invested in all the ecosystem and I just I also <laughs> I also don't understand because Apple's just sort of transforming into this entertainment company right like it's like they're literally creating TV shows and movies now which to me just also doesn't it just seems odd and strange like it's one thing to be to have an app store or like a iTunes store where you can purchase movies and music and that sort of thing, but for them to turn into an entertainment company where they're producing content is also strange to me. I understand from a business use case, uh, you know, they're, they're worried about uh, losing the the sort of monopoly on distribution. Not that it was never a monopoly, but iTunes was a great way of distributing distributing uh, digital content it was probably the best store that we ever had uh, up until that point to actually purchase you know music and then movies and that sort of thing but all of these other companies who own the content themselves have created their own distribution systems you know they have their own software they have their own streaming services and whatnot so I understand that Apple was like well we're gonna lose revenue from these iTunes sort of sales potentially so maybe we should, uh, you know, we need to, to look into creating our own content. And uh, so I understand it as a, like a business use case, but it just, uh, you, you just see them moving more and more into these subscription models, right? Like you need a subscription for everything. 
with Apple, it, it starts started to feel that way, right? Your Apple TV subscription, your Apple Fitness subscription, and your Apple Music subscription, and all these subscriptions, and uh, it just I can understand the, some of the evolution there, but I just don't feel like they. Uh, it just doesn't feel like for me. What what was always great about Mac was, it's a device that you can use to be creative and to to create with, and you can certainly do that with Mac uh, products, but it's much 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 more a product designed for consumption rather than creation. If you use an iPhone or a Mac, you know there's there's like on the Mac side, you can't. It comes with uh, Apple TV, you can't even delete the application off of the computer. So, you know, they're forcing you into the situation where you're you're given these devices that you know, instead of being a blank canvas for you to create with, it's like here's this device with all of these stores and uh, mechanisms for you to consume our content and subscription services built in. So I don't I don't like that's not really the purpose of why I have a computer. So yeah, so a lot of reasons for for the Apple thing. So so you know the only option if you're not really interested in the uh, Mac side and if Windows is not really your thing, for me it, Windows like I said Windows 10 wasn't bad. I actually thought it was a very decent operating system and. I think that going through the process of looking at Linux distributions or you know Linux operating systems has given me a appreciation for Windows for the stability of Windows. Uh, I really like Windows 10 actually. I think Windows 10 is a is a very good operating system. Uh, you know, as a, from the software development side, I like Mac OS better. Even just things like installing Python. Uh, it's just a better experience on Mac than it is on Windows, in my opinion. I think that's being sort of worked on for future, but yeah, that's a thing. But there's a lot of things that are just super stable on on Windows, and I mean, just overall, I mean, very few crashes. Very like I, I don't think I, I don't know if I ever experienced a crash on Windows 10. Um, the only concern was just the bloatware that's in the start menu. You know, that's like there's all the software I don't want on the computer to start with. There's a lot of uninstalling stuff, and they're constantly trying to push a web browser on you. Like they constantly want you to install their latest version of um, you know Microsoft Edge or whatever the latest browser they're gonna have is, and which started on I don't know if it was Windows XP, but there was some older version of Windows where you. It became a point we could no longer uninstall Windows Explorer, uh, Microsoft uh, Explorer, Internet Explorer. Sorry, um, where that that always felt strange to me. Like, you know, you should be able to uninstall applications you don't want on your computers, and and now on Mac and on Windows you can't do that. There are applications that are installed that there's no uninstall button so you know but Windows like I never thought I would like Windows again uh, since Windows XP you know and I mean like I said Windows 7 I I thought was good I did like it uh, but Windows 10 definitely gave me some hope about Windows 
But again, there's just there's just too much extra software on there that I just didn't want on there. So and the Python thing as well. So so I started looking into Linux. Not start, I've kind of looked and dabbled over the years. And I started to make a list of all the Linux operating systems that I've tried. So, I mean, number one is uh, Ubuntu, which works great on servers. I mean, I've, I've used Ubuntu on servers for a long time. It's been unbelievably stable. Never had any issues with it. And um, it's been great. But as a desktop operating system, I never liked that the menu bar was on the left-hand side. I thought that was kind of odd. Uh, there's, although there's the ability to customize that. Um, but Ubuntu is probably the, the most maybe recognizable Linux operating system. Although from this process I've learned that most Linux distributions come from Debian actually. Debian's like the source of most uh, Linux distributions. Not all, but many of them. So like Ubuntu is a version of Debian. And then you have uh, other operating systems that are based off of Ubuntu. So you know, Ubuntu, it's fine, you know, I think that's a great sort of starter Linux operating system for a lot of people looking to move to Linux. It's very popular, um, but uh, I don't know, there's been a bunch of changes and I kind of, this was where the conversation gets difficult because there's so much, um, there's so much variation or there's so many options on the Linux side. But I'll just list some of these uh, that I've, and this is not the full list. This is just some I could remember off the top of my head um, quickly, which is uh, Ubuntu. Uh, there's a bunch of versions of Ubuntu, like I said, but one of them like will have these desktop operating systems. So there's there's one called uh, KDE Plasma, which breaks down into two versions. Also, one has X11, one's Wayland, which is a thing. That's a whole other thing to talk about at some point. Um, but uh, so Kubuntu is basically Ubuntu with a KDE Plasma desktop, but you can also use Ubuntu with GNOME. And um, apparently there's a Ubuntu with Budgie as well. And there's one called Lumbuntu, which is like, uh, is it LX? Um, uh, there, there's there's a few more LX QT I think it is um, there's a few different variations of these sort of desktop environments that can sit on top of some Linux distributions which is interesting can make things very complicated for new users to jump in the most uh, sort of user-friendly and approachable version of Linux that I came across was probably Zorin OS, which is something I would be pretty comfortable recommending to non-tech users for their first spin into Linux. Uh, there was some strange stuff that happened with um, when I was doing some software development on there and doing a pip freeze in a, inside of a virtual environment where it was showing a bunch of installed packages where there shouldn't have been in installed packages inside of a virtual environment in my opinion so I, I personally didn't use Zorin OS but I did purchase the pro version of it 
because I really like a lot of things about Zoran OS. Zoran OS is one of my favorites. Um, I tried Solus Budgie, which was... Um, Solus is another project that comes. I'm not exactly sure the history of that, but I, it's very um, aesthetically pleasing operating system. Uh, I tried Arch Linux, which is quite interesting. A very, very, very interesting version of, of Linux. Uh, ultimately, like one of the things that influenced me is that because I use Ubuntu on servers, I like the consistency of the commands uh, that I run on, ser on the server side, I like to be able to use those in the operating system as well. So things like Arch Linux, for example, have slightly different um, Linux commands and uh, or I should say um, terminal commands, you know, it's different commands you would use in the terminal to do things. It's not that big of a deal. Like they have something called Pac-Man um, which is, you know, it's, it's not like it's too difficult to get over that difference. It's just, for me, I didn't want to have to kind of switch back and forth between command types on my desktop, or, you know, or, or my personal computer, or my work computer, and on servers. It's like, so there's a strong sort of connection to Ubuntu, which I, you know, understand is, is connected to Debian from my view. So that, so I didn't, Although I installed Arch Linux, and Arch is another one of those things where you, you can install it and it just sort of sits the command line, which is like most, uh, well, other, I guess each version of Linux, you can either have a desktop environment or you can just have it boot up into the, the terminal, basically, it's the command line. So that certainly is an option with Arch, but you can also put... Uh, desktop environments on top of Arch as well. One of my favorite uh, and most, um, I think, compelling use cases for something like Arch was uh, there's a project called Hyperland, which is a, what do we call it? It's a Windows manager. So it's not actually a desktop environment, but it sort of looks like it is. Uh, I really, really, really am interested in the Hyperland, and um, you know you can you can run it on Arch, but you can also run it on other versions of Linux. It's like it's kind of a the thing that there's a whole thing of Windows managers and desktop environments on Linux that uh, is a whole rabbit hole. But Hyperland's very interesting because also it's like based on Wayland. So the other thing I discovered through this process is basically you have something called X11. And then you have something called Wayland. So X11 is essentially like a legacy piece of like underlying software that has to do with Windows management and things. Uh, I couldn't explain it fully, but it's been around for a very, 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 very long time. Like 50 years long-ish kind of a thing. Um, I think they're the first nine or ten versions of it or something were like made in a, in a in a lab and not released to the public so maybe x10 or something was the first one released to the public and then eventually it was x11 it's kind of stayed that way so it's very good because there's a lot of legacy software uh that is sort of built with x11 in mind um but as a legacy piece of software just something that's been around for a long time 
there are downsides to that as well. And, and Wayland is sort of this new version that is coming out that's breaking some long-term compatibility with older versions of things, but is sort of the future in, in a lot of ways is what it seems like to me. Um, it's just one of these underpinning technologies that, that is built into a lot of these operating systems um, or desktop environments, I guess you could say. So, so for example, I'm currently using Kubuntu and they have an, a version with X11 and they have a version with Wayland. So you can actually change between the two. Uh, when you go to log into the computer, there's like a little option where you can select um, which one. And uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing. But but Wayland, I think that's why Hyperland has the land in Hyperland because of Wayland. Uh, there's a connection there. So like I don't know. I'm just really 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 excited about Hyperland. I I I would. I want to use Hyperland actually right now, but I don't. I'm not sure how stable it is, and, and I've been enjoying Kubuntu at the moment, so I don't. Um, I don't want to have to sort of reinstall and go through the process again at the moment, but I just want to really point that out. Um, I've also used Fedora, and Fedora is uh, it's connected with Red Hat, and there's I guess, I guess there's some controversy. Has having something to do with um, them going closed source. I guess they're sort of hiring people to work on Fedora, and, and it's just not as open as it used to be kind of a thing. But it seems to be a very stable operating system. So I think just like getting in and getting work done kind of a thing, um, Fedora is still very, very, very interesting. I think they're actually even also shipping their own hardware now like there's a fedora laptop you can buy which is very interesting um which brings me into uh pop os but before i go into that another thing that's similar to uh i guess a version of arch linux is, is something called en endeavor os which uh, i saw recommended but i didn't play around that that much um i guess it's more of a i don't know if it's, you could say it's like a version of Arch Linux that's kind of gets you into the desktop environment quicker as opposed to doing like a long-term complicated uh, command line install but I'm not an expert on that and spent a lot of time in there um, but Pop OS is a really interesting uh, operating system as well so targeted towards new um, Linux users also you know people who need to get work done whatever they are this, this is maintained by System76 which is a seller of Linux hardware so they make their own uh, Pop OS you know system uh, Linux but it's basically a, a version of Ubuntu from what I understand uh, which is very promising also uh, I tried it years ago haven't tried it recently uh, you know I assume it would be like a similar experience but um, I don't know it's like there's this whole thing with these app stores on Linux that I have mixed feelings about. And um, one of the things that's good about the app stores is it, it basically opens up new users to very quickly install software that they're used to running on other operating systems. So it's sort of like a welcoming thing, but there are different types of, I guess you call them package managers, uh, different um, 
different ways that Linux software is packaged. So this whole thing with uh, these things called flat packs, and there's also something called Snap, which I don't fully understand. I think it's sort of uh, like software that's bundled with the dependencies that it needs to run, so you don't have to go out and try to find the dependencies afterwards, which is a good thing, generally speaking. But it circumvents the, like normally when you install Linux software, you have to use your administrative password. But with some of these flat packs or, or snap things, I don't know which ones, um, you don't actually have to, you can sort of bypass that, which I don't like. So it seems like that's something that's in flux and needs to be resolved so that uh, you can have the benefit of this installing software, but, but keep that within the framework of like the user types and the, the security that's built in for those things uh, as well. So that I didn't, I don't, so I don't really love the app stores generally speaking on Linux because of those issues. Um, but from a, from a user just trying to get in and get work done as quickly as possible, um, you know, Pop! OS is also a really great sort of starter option. Like if I was say to recommend Linux to people that I don't know or that I know that are like not really super tech savvy, I would say maybe consider Pop! OS or Zorn! OS. Um, possibly Ubuntu, but I think Ubuntu... I don't know, the desktop environment, like when I used it, I was using GNOME before I switched to the Kubuntu, and, and it, GNOME wasn't as stable as I thought it would be, but that may be because in order for me to customize it the way I wanted to customize it, I had to install other pieces of software, like these GNOME extensions and these GNOME tweaks, and so some of that instability could have been coming from some of those additional pieces of software that were installed or some of the ways that I customized it. Uh, so that was a little bit of a frustrating thing for me. Like for me out of the box, I want to like one of the things that's critical is like I want to be able to auto hide the taskbar, like the bar at the bottom of your screen and also auto hide the the bar that's on if there's a bar on the top of the screen, usually it shows like the time and that sort of thing like if you're familiar with macOS you have both, right? And on macOS, you can easily auto-hide both, but on stock versions of like Ubuntu, I don't think you could auto-hide both. Like you needed to install install additional software, like these extensions and things, which was not a good experience. You know, I, I want to just be able to like right-click on on those taskbars and, and sort of set auto-hide on or off and, you know, do that the same with the top bar. I guess we call it the top bar. And uh, so that was that was a frustrating thing. Um, let's see, elementary OS. I tried a bit. I was curious about the parental controls in that. Uh, I tried that again, maybe I don't know, a couple years ago, and um, they just didn't function. So I don't know. Like it seemed like that was something they were working on, but just maybe never got around to finishing. Uh, I mean, this is all open source stuff, so it just kind of depends on what the community makes. Um, on a similar note, I tried uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, you know, hardware, and so Raspbian was the name of their operating system. I think they call it Raspberry OS now, or Raspberry Pi OS, I'm not sure which one. 
and um, I really like it a lot actually I really like it a lot it makes me think that I could maybe use a Raspberry Pi 5 as a daily driver potentially you know I'm not gonna be playing games on it but in terms of software development and daily tasks I mean I think that Raspberry OS is like pretty solid actually um, when it comes to the customizability all the options were there but the way the menus were organized wasn't super great like if you wanted to organize your start menu for example it's not like you could drag and drop I mean these are things that are like Windows XP had <laughs> you know if you wanted to customize your start menu you could just literally drag an application into a different folder it was very 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 simple very easy to customize exactly what you want it doesn't seem like anyone's gotten close to where the to that Windows XP start menu um, in terms of the ease of use and, and ease of customization um, but uh, you know I don't have a Raspberry Pi 5 I have a Raspberry Pi um, 4 and 3 and a 2 actually uh, I, I installed a this on a two just to kind of see how how good it was and it could handle the well it could handle the software it could handle very well in other words like a if you're using a software program to use to use utilize software um, like an IDE to, to, to write software they have an application called Genie which works really well it's very snappy and uh, there was customizations I looked into some of the plugins and you know, creating a dark mode with it. It was actually very usable, very good. Even on a, on a Raspberry Pi 2, which was like a lot of fun to experiment with. And um, obviously a little bit faster on the Raspberry Pi 3. But uh, I, I tried to install Visual Studio Code on it. It ran technically, but it was very slow, you know, which is expected. Those older versions of Raspberry, of the Raspberry Pis were, you know, very little RAM. Uh, single board computers so you know you don't expect much so if you stayed away from VS Code and you just sort of used the this Raspberry Pi friendly software that this actually could be a really good experience uh, but for me personally I use PyCharm that's like my go-to IDE so I need something with more horsepower it, but you can get uh, that installed on a Raspberry Pi, but you just need something that is um, that has enough memory and that sort of thing. And it's like the higher end versions of a Raspberry Pi are like eight gigabytes of memory, which is honestly like pushing it for something like PyCharm. I think the computers that I'm running now both have at least 32 gigs of memory uh, on the Mac and on the now Linux side, and that's necessary for me to personally have a good experience with PyCharm. So like for me PyCharm 8 gigs of memory is not enough. You know, 16 is really like where you kind of start to have a good experience. And um, you know, it's nice to have a little more overhead than that if you're going to have multiple windows open and be, you know, testing applications, maybe you're playing um, you know, one of these like study music videos in another window or if you have multiple monitors and that sort of thing. So Anyways, I think there's a lot of promising stuff uh, with the Raspberry Pi. I heard they're going public recently, or at least they're maybe trying to do so, but not on the New York Stock Exchange. Must something like that's happening in the UK may or may not be happening, but that's interesting to follow. Um, there's other single uh, 
single core computers. What does it say? That single. I'll just call it that. Single core computers um, that like Rock sixty four and a bunch of other sort of um, Raspberry Pi competitors, which is or alternatives, which are very interesting too. That sort of takes me quickly over into the Pine phone, which is the Linux phone. Um, I, I actually had I purchased one of those again a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and tried a bunch of the early builds of, of uh, Linux uh, mobile operating systems, which weren't quite ready yet, but I'm interested in jumping back into that now, several years later, um, where now they now have something called the PinePhone Pro, which is a much more, I guess, updated and capable version of the hardware, but it's like $400, which is not nothing. You know, it's cheaper than a flagship phone, but it's still not nothing. And um, and there's things that I don't... The Pine Phone is not the perfect hardware that I would want for a mobile operating, a mobile hardware, personally. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, like... I don't know, we, we've been living in, like, in a world where everybody's trying to be the iPhone for the longest time, it's kind of annoying. Um, so, which also takes me into like a lot of the customization that you can do in Linux, generally speaking. Like on uh, KDE, there's a bunch of uh, like themes you can download and things, and there seems to be this sort of sense that people wish, like people really like Mac OS a lot, and they try to create these themes that make your computer look like it's Mac OS and that's like the last thing that I want you know I want something unique it's almost like an Envy or uh, maybe it's something for people that like feel like they couldn't afford a Mac uh, Apple computer so they want to make their Linux computer look like it's running Mac OS but honestly um, I don't know having had Mac and my that whole discussion it's like I don't want Mac OS so Although I do appreciate that macOS's user interface is just great and stable, generally speaking. So, um, let's see. So Debian, uh, I was very interested in actually just installing raw Debian once I found out that Ubuntu basically comes from Debian, because I I was primarily looking primarily looking for something stable more than anything else, and supposedly Debian is very stable, but there's a couple things. Number one, like they're, it was shipping with GNOME, and I had a bad experience with Ubuntu with GNOME, so I was thinking that maybe that would be an issue. But again, could have been from some of the dependencies that I was installing. Um, also, downloading, trying to download Debian from Debian's website is not an easy thing. It's like very confusing website. I think they've improved it somewhat, but it's like. It's not clear. I mean, you can do it. You can get the ISO images off their site, but it's it's not super clear. Um, it makes it a lot more difficult than you expect it to be. And I think I just had settled into again Kubuntu, like, and I just you know at some point I will I would like to to just install the raw Debian um, and also see if I can get de like a Debian maybe Hyperland combo like that would probably be like maybe my dream build but also with Hyperland I'm not sure how stable it is because it's sort of a newer project 
So I really don't know, but that would be maybe my dream thing. Um, I talked about Lumbuntu. I haven't had a chance to try that yet, but I was interested in kind of checking it out. Uh, but I think I basically did because I, you know, because I have Ubuntu with KDE, I was able to install different desktop environments and and actually try out what would have been Lubuntu basically. Um, and I'm just KDE just keeps like being the winner so far in in my journey so far on the Linux side. So Kubuntu K U B U N T U seems to be the what I'm going with, what I'm sticking with for now. Because um, my, my goal is not to distro hop. My, just, my goal is to, to figure out like what version of Linux can I use as a daily driver that does, I can customize the way that I want and leave it alone. And then I, like there's, so there's enough customization but not too much where I'm constantly wanting to tinker and change things and all of that. So, uh, yeah, so, so that's the thing. Um, Gen 2, I think, is like definitely worth mentioning. So in terms of the main versions of Linux, I think it's Debian, Arch Linux, and I don't know if Gen 2 is maybe the third one, or there's, I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm sure a lot of the information that I'm, I'm sharing is not quite accurate, because this is just my perspective of going through this process and trying to find a solution that works for me personally. So, uh, but Gen 2 is something that is um, very customizable. Like, it considers, like, the hardware very specifically that's running on whatever computer that you're running it on. And there is like this very long build process from what I understand um, it may be a long build process also though to be fair because some of the videos that I watched about it were people installing it on very old uh, computers so this is actually a perfect example of what I mean so uh, like the, I think it was an iBook G4 I found a video of someone installing Gen 2 very recently on an, you know, basically like a 2003, 2004-ish uh, Mac laptop, which I love those aesthetically. They're just beautiful. I, I love those computers. I'd love to have one now. Uh, mine just was like, I had, you know, the one that I had years ago, I, I unfortunately had dropped it and it's damaged and, you know, it it just wasn't, it was, it's not, not the usual case of me taking perfect care of things you know it just was uh, just didn't make it um, but they installed Gen 2 on it another version of Linux and it took them like two days or something to, to like build it they had to put a fan in front of it <laughs> while it was and basically while it was installing to get everything installed but they were able to do it um, which goes to the power of like how Linux can generally run on a lot of older software there's plenty of other versions of Linux that I did not mention here um, some that are more suited to run on older versions of, of computers and that sort of thing more than others and there's just so much to get into um, so I guess I'll just say like honorable mentions or things I was interested in but I didn't get the time to or didn't feel like installing for some reason or another uh, NixOS was one of them it has this interesting concept of like having one file that you can customize all sorts of things 
about your distribution and if you back up this one file then it sort of backs up your operating system that was interesting concept for the nix os um for me it's like i have questions about like the permissions behind that one file uh you know like which is a big question mark that i have about linux generally speaking there's there's like root users there's administrative users and there's standard users the main users that i came across and i felt like there was a missing user type uh, which I don't know if I'm going to go into in this episode, but basically uh, there's some, there's some stuff around that that I don't think is, has kept pace with the fact that so many computers are like personal computers now. Like a lot of these systems were being built. It was strictly for business, strictly for like education, not in terms of like students, but like in terms of things that the... Uh, like the university would be, would be running internally. So the user types are one of those things that I think actually needs to be updated. But um, that's probably like a whole other discussion. Um, so, yeah, there's other things. I mean, vanilla OS was like interesting, but I couldn't quite, you know, it's just only so much like, again, I don't want to be distro hopping. I want to get work done. So so much I wanted to get into, but that was like another thing, like maybe I should look at this one, Open Seuss, Open S-U-S-E was another one I looked into, but never had time, um, Linux Mint was another one that I just never had time to get around to, that is generally um, re regarded very well, I personally don't like that green color, <laughs> the mint color, so uh, that's kind of turned me off, I think, to it, but um, you know, I'm sure that's probably customizable as well. You know, ideally you'd want some sort of um, mix between customizability and um, that's my uh, that's my non-smartphone ringing, by the way. And so I literally did leave Apple when I said I left Apple. I left Apple. Um, so. I don't know. There, there's a bunch of stuff there too. I mean, like on the Linux Mint, it was interesting. I just, I just, I think my point is like, ultimately, the best operating system would be something with, with, just enough customizability, to, to get you going. Like for me, that's like auto hiding the top bar and the menu bar, um, and there also is some stuff around user types that I haven't quite figured out on the Linux side that, that actually like is, is a key thing as well. Um, and you want it to look aesthetically pleasing enough that you want to use it on a regular basis. For me, I auto-hide the, the, the taskbar, so you do want the taskbar to look good and simple, you know? So, so far, KDE, uh, or, or, or Kubuntu in my case, is the most, um, checks the most boxes. And at some point, I would like to build my own custom version, uh, my own co custom operating system with really like a minimalist approach. And uh, that was part of this experimentation. But uh, we'll see. I'll continue this journey and we'll see where it goes. And I think that's it for now. So I think I'm going to post this on my podcast if you do enjoy this uh go ahead and leave like a five-star review on apple Podcasts or on spotify 
podcast or wherever you hear this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. That is my current Linux journey.